Well, welcome to Rod Carr, the Chair of the Climate Commission uh, to the Kaka. Lovely to see you, Rod. Thank you, Arvind. I wanted to know um, what advice you've given the government about the emissions trading scheme over the last year or so. So, Bernard, in June last year, we provided advice on what's called the ETS, Emissions Trading Scheme Settings. And this is a a rather technical piece of advice, uh, which the Commission is required to provide to the government each year. And specifically what it says is, in the auction of units that is made available, how many units should the government make available that would be consistent with achieving the emissions budgets that the government has set and that are aligned with our emissions targets. And in order to provide an answer to that question, there are also two other settings that we're to advise on, which is at what price should the government release additional units into the market if it's concerned that the prices are spiking too high? And the Act gives us guidance that this trigger should rarely be met. Not regularly, not frequently, but rarely. And also we have to provide advice at a floor below which the government would not offer any additional units to the market. So it's a floor below which there is no more, a quantity that would be consistent with the budgets that the government has set for our emissions, and a trigger to stop price spikes that rarely, if ever, should be triggered. That's the technical advice on ETS settings. And when we advised the government in June last year, we gave some quantities for units to be sold and suggested that the floor below which no unit should be offered should be raised quite significantly from its then present level and that we should move the trigger price well away from recent market prices so that it would rarely, if ever, be necessary for additional units to be conjured up to deal with a market that might be spiking for some reason. Now, we completely accept that we are advisors. It is, in the end, our elected representatives that make decisions. And late last year, the government did make its decisions in respect of emissions trading scheme settings that would cover 2023, that is the current year, 2024 next year, and 2025. And this is to provide some certainty to market participants about the quantities and trigger prices in the auction. The Act does provide that under certain circumstances, those settings might be reviewed early. But those criteria need to be met before the Commission can offer that kind of advice, and then the government again has to decide what to do. So anyway, along comes 2023, and now we're uh, given the opportunity to provide advice to the government on the settings if the trigger had been met for a review of 2024 and 5, and in the view of the Commission, those triggers were not met, so the 2024 and 2025 settings are left in place. But we also have to give advice on settings for 2026, And so, again, the Commission did its homework on what are our emissions budgets, how do we think we're travelling, how much of the available budget is being used up by free allocations, or how much additional forestry is coming into the scheme, and therefore what quantity of units should be auctioned, and what should those reserve prices and trigger prices be. 
And we provided that advice to the government um, at the end of March, 31st of March, and then the minister released it to the markets uh, shortly thereafter. The government now goes through a public consultation period, uh, and then by the 30th September, it's got to decide what it's going to do in respect of settings for the year beginning the 1st of January 2026. Consistent with our previous advice and the evidence and the expert analysis, what we see is the need to substantially reduce auction volumes from their now locked in 2025 level to a much lower level in 2026 to put us back on track to align the emissions trading scheme with the government's budgets, which are already set out till 2035. So that's the process, Bernard. It's rather technical. The government didn't take our advice that we gave last year, and it's locked in settings, and we've given it more advice and some explanation about why circumstances may now be different so that they might consider that the advice we give this time is relevant, appropriate, acceptable, and in the best interests of meeting our emissions budgets and meeting the requirements of the Act. So, uh, um, just so I've got it clear in my own head, you advised uh, last year that the government should do some things essentially to increase the price of emissions trading scheme credits, which would in effect have increased the price of petrol and some other things. And so, Bernard, we have to be a bit careful, though, that the Commission doesn't have a view about what the right price of an NZU is. Mm. We have a view that market participants, those who emit carbon dioxide equivalent gases and are obligated to buy units, and those who supply units, such as the forestry sector, should find the price themselves. And our advice is not what the NZU price should be, but rather how would you make sure you had settings and quantities that aligned the performance of the market for NZUs with the budgets which are in place. Now, there may be a conclusion that that might lead to higher prices or not, but it's not the Commission's job to tell participants what the price should be. My understanding, though, is that the government um, decided that it didn't want the price, whatever it was going to be, <laughs> to be too much higher and therefore um, decided not to take the advice. Um, given that it did that last the, year... The government had come to believe that the trigger price for new units to be created was acting as some kind of magnet and that market participants were not trying to discover the true exchange rate for sequestration within the ETS and obligations on emitters, but, but rather was mindlessly tracking the CCR, the cost containment reserve trigger. So that was their hypothesis, and therefore they were anxious that there was a substantial lift in the trigger for release of reserves, that the market might move rapidly to that. Um, all the evidence that has emerged since then suggests that that is not actually how the market works. Uh, the Commission was rather sceptical. We talked about it uh, as an anchoring effect, but could not find evidence that that was true. The government talked about it as a magnet effect, 
And now we see that there is little evidence that actually the cost containment reserve trigger acts as a magnet for market participants. It does appear that the price is driven by market participants' expectations of government policy, their ambition and climate action, as well as obviously the availability of forestry to enter sequestration almost with unlimited volumes given the current architecture of the ETS. And those are the things that are driving the price, not the trigger price for the cost containment reserve. So the end result after um, this advice came out and we, we saw the next auction, uh, according to the people I spoke to in the market, is that um, they viewed this as losing confidence in the market uh, because they saw that the government had essentially um, blinked uh, when the price looked like it was going to go up quite a bit because the government is worried about how voters might see higher fuel prices and that um, therefore um, they had lost confidence in the market. How do you you see it as someone who, you know, gives advice to the government and watches the market closely? But I think the first thing to keep in mind is that the analysis that the Commission has done says that every $10 movement in an NZU price affects the lowest income 20% of New Zealand households by about 66 cents a week. And the highest 20% of New Zealand households by about $1.50 a week. So if you're going to suppress NZU prices as a way of delivering a benefit to low-income New Zealanders, then effectively the highest-income New Zealanders are getting two and a half times the benefit that the low-income New Zealander is getting. It is not an efficient way of providing support to the most impacted and vulnerable households. So how how would you do it if you want to make it... Because you, you say in your advice... Um, this time that um, there are ways the government can you know, offset any impact to make sure it's a fair transition. Yeah, and, and we say, look, the government already has um, tools in its welfare portfolio that it can use to target assistance to the most vulnerable and least able to change the low-income households in New Zealand. Winter energy payments are a classic. Beneficiary support levels are already in place. And just simply suppressing the relative price of high-emitting activities is unhelpful in sending the signals to investors, producers and consumers that the real exchange rate of pollution is rising in the economy and you better invest wisely, produce lower-emitting products and services and consume lower-emitting products and services. And if you find yourself facing higher costs than you can afford, then the government can use welfare policies to target assistance to the most adversely impacted in our community. And that is a much more efficient, just transition than delaying action so that we get significant, abrupt, disruptive change. So I'm trying to work out here, um, now that the government uh, decided not to take the advice last year and you've given this advice this year, it seems to me it's a, it's a bit like once you get behind the curve on this, it can be quite difficult to get to catch up. And um, the more you get behind the curve, the more abrupt the change has to be. Do you have a sense of how much uh, this decision not to take your advice how much further it has put the government behind the curve? 
But it's pretty hard to separate out um, from all the things that are going on. I mean, clearly, um, oil prices have gone up and come down. The exchange rate wobbles around. And between those two things, it has a greater impact on the price of the pump than the NZU price in the emissions trading scheme. But secondly, the government itself has foregone $1.3 billion of tax revenue on fossil fuel sales to households in a rather um, interesting way of targeting assistance to most adversely affected, which essentially gives the biggest benefit to the bigger polluters with the larger cars. So from all those points of view, um, tracing through exactly what an NZU price does relative to all the other changes in the economy is actually very challenging. What we do know is the relative price of high-emitting activities needs to go up in the years to come. And the sooner we move it gradually, the less likely it is that we'll have to move it abruptly. So uh, if I was to ask the Prime Minister some uh, um, direct questions along the lines of um, why... Um, have you done this and uh, what are you planning to um, make sure you actually get to the um, zero carbon uh, target that the legislation says you're supposed to? Um, you know, what sort of things should the government do uh, now after uh, deciding not to take your advice. I mean, what sort of things should they do? Because when I look at what they've done in the last three or four months, we've seen, obviously, the decision not to take your advice on the emissions trading scheme. Uh, there's been various other measures to um, focus on the so-called bread and butter rather than um, uh, the longer-term future. I'm thinking in particular of the, the cash for clunkers um, scheme, but also... Uh, we're still um, talking about bringing agriculture into the system and also the government has decided to allow the continued apparent unlimited um, uh, creation of credits to compensate pine forest um, planters. Um, what, what do you think the government should do here if they're thinking about the environment rather than just getting re-elected? So, Bernard, the, the, the great news is we're about to tell you exactly that, but not at this moment. So the, uh, the Climate Change Commission uh, will release its draft advice on the second emissions reduction plan at the end of April, so not far away. And that is the advice that uh, we will go out for public consultation on for eight weeks. So during May and June, we'll be running around the country and running webinars saying uh, this is the advice, the direction of policy that we would recommend the government take in order to put us in a best place to achieve the uh, budget for 2026 to 2030 for our emissions. And that has to have regard for all the things that the legislation said we needed to consider. So it's not just a least cost pathway or a least risk pathway or as little as we can get away with pathway. It is a pathway that has to take into account the impact on vulnerable communities, different sector impacts. It has to bear in mind uh, the Crown's obligations and responsibilities 
under Tatiriti. So there's a whole list of things in the Act that we are required as a commission to take into account in formulating advice, and it is only advice. And one of the requirements is that we consult on our draft advice before we finalise it. So we will finalise that advice and we are under the statute required to give it to the government of the day by the 31st of December this year. They will have all of next year to consult on it and to write their own emissions reduction plan for 2026 to 2030. And that has to be in place by the end of 2024. So there's adequate notice before it kicks in on the 1st of January 2026. So we're now beginning to see the cadence of the architecture of the Climate Change Response Act begin to get itself sorted out. So your first draft is going to be with the government by the end of this month or so, and voters will at least get a chance to look at your first draft of legislation and at least uh, a verbal yeah. response from the government yeah, before the election. It's not, le- not draft legislation. Remember that we advise the government on the direction of policy, so it's quite high level. Uh, there are other agencies which are much better placed to give life to the detail if government chooses to pursue that direction of policy. Uh, yeah, so, we'll, we'll, so voters, uh, if... If the only power the Act has and the um, uh, Commission has is to essentially embarrass the government into doing the right thing, um, voters will have some sort of chance to get a general idea of whether the government is headed in the right direction compared to what the experts, the Commission, are advising it. Yes, although our principal focus is on barriers to achieving the budgets and enablers necessary to achieve the budgets and what public policy can do to support the enablers and reduce the barriers rather than prescribe what government should do. But you are right, that will be in the public domain in May and June uh, for people to submit to the Commission about and talk to about in public discourse and civil society. And just uh, one thing, obviously we'll come back to you at the, uh, when you come out with that draft in, in public because we'd love to um, uh, dive into that. Uh, but while we're here, you have been giving some advice to the government uh, in recent years about pine forest planting as a way to get to uh, carbon zero. What's your view generally on pine forest planting And these are pine forests designed to be um, carbon sinks. They're not just there to grow and then um, slice them up and send them to China. Uh, What's your view on that? Yes, the Commission in its um, initial um, advice on the first emissions reduction plan constructed what we called a demonstration pathway. It wasn't a central plan. It wasn't a forecast. It was a, a, if all these things came together, you'd be here in 2020, 35, right? And on your way to net zero. And we forecast out past 2050. And the conclusion that we reached is that you need to reduce gross emissions or you lock in having to forever add new hectares of forest cover. At some point, you begin to use highly productive land as carbon stores. At some point, you lose your social license and community support to constantly lock up more of New Zealand under permanent forest cover forever into the future to compensate for past emissions. So the Commission in its demonstration pathway identified that between... Now and 2035, 
you could plant 380,000 hectares of additional exotics and 300,000 of infill and additional natives, and that would add, you know, roughly, you know, 700,000 hectares of New Zealand land into permanent forest cover to buy you some time to get your gross emissions down through the take-up of new technology and changes of behaviour. Uh, we're certainly on track to plant that amount of Pinus radiata, but we don't appear to be anywhere near that track for planting indigenous forests. And the reason that indigenous forests are important is they grow more slowly, which means that they're sequestering the carbon beyond 2050. And the, the opportunity with the pine is it gets going faster so it can begin to suck carbon out of the air but you've still got to keep the forest cover in place once you've put the forest there. And so our view was there should be limits to what we would plan to use as offsets while we get gross emissions down. And that was what the demonstration pathway was trying to signal, is if you purely took a short-term, myopic, kind of reckless and selfish approach you could plant out pines at 25 to $50 per tonne of sequestration, and that would be your least cost abatement. But it would have high risk of fire, disease, and premature carbon release, and high regret for future generations who found themselves custodians of forest estates for our past emissions. And that doesn't seem fair. Yeah, if I'm looking at this from a distance with a political economy sort of lens and trying to think about it a bit like a behavioral economist you know what are the incentives here how do humans actually react when they've got various options in front of them and it seems like every time we get here our politicians and ourselves those voters in the end because we're the ones <laughs> vote them in and out in theory uh we always seem to take the option which hurts us the least right now, even though we understand in our heads uh, with the logic and, you know, if we're thinking slow, we understand that this was the, the right thing to do in the long run for future generations is the other thing that's slightly more painful in the immediate term. How do we, how do we get over this sort of thinking fast, thinking slow problem in our political economy? Um, first of all, we talk about it. I think that's the, the, the civil discourse is a really important thing. Not blaming, not shaming, not pointing the finger. Um, my personal belief now is that a low emissions future for New Zealand is good for us. Whatever the rest of the world does, it is in our own self-interest now to decarbonise the production of electricity. It is in our own self-interest to use electricity to decarbonise as much of our economy as we can, whether that is through eliminating coal, fossil gas, liquid petroleum. You know, we now have, through largely the efforts of others, access to technologies to enable renewable electricity generation to decarbonise substantial parts of New Zealand society, reduce our dependence on imported liquid fossil fuels, reduce the near-ground emissions from motor vehicles that have their own health impacts, and create a more resilient, healthier society for us and our children. That perhaps we've framed this too much as one of obligations and oppression, 
and looked too little for the opportunities to build a better future. So New Zealand is blessed with an extraordinary opportunity to take up known technologies with urgency for our own benefit. And I think that's a much better way of engaging business and wider society than the sense that we're obligated by some foreign treaty and woeful things will happen to us if we don't behave. This is much more about we will be better off if we don't burn coal, if we don't burn fossil gas, if we don't use imported liquid fossil fuels. And we have the pathway to do that. We need, through our buying behaviour, as well as our advocacy, to make it easier for our elected leaders to make some hard choices in our own self-interest. That's uh, that's very useful there. Thank you very much to Rod Carr, the Chair of the Climate Commission here on the Kaka. Thank you.